Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Today on the Make Meaning Podcast, I'm excited to speak with David Hornack, Superintendent of Schools for Holt Public Schools and Executive Director of the National Association for Year-Round Education. David has taught everything from the youngest children and reading recovery to becoming an instructional leader and eventually a school superintendent. He has presented more than 100 times to school boards, district officials, and community groups around the world, and is passionate about alternative calendars and wellness initiatives. David's dissertation, which was titled The Impact of Summer Recess on Mathematical Learning Retention, was selected in 2016 as National Dissertation of the Year by the National Council of Professors of Educational Administration. In 2015, he became Executive Director of the National Association for Year-Round Education. David Hornack, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I am so tickled to be here. (laughs) It's my honor to speak with you. I'm just so impressed with everything you've done. And so I'd like to start by learning about how you came to a career in education. What drew you to this work? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, several false starts. I thought that maybe I was better served in business. And well, now in my current position, I feel like I am running a business. (laughs) Um, To that end, I um, entered college thinking I was going, going to be a marketing or a management major and took a few classes in that realm and then discovered that it just didn't feel right. And my mom said, you know, you've always uh, worked well with your younger cousins and siblings. So why don't you take the introduction to education class, uh, to which I did and fell in love and found the people that I related uh, with best. Wow. Wow. What a cool, what a cool journey. And I know you began in the classroom and you've since ascended to leadership. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how your work has changed and also, you know, along that way, how your vision for education may have changed over the course of your career. You bet. So I'm starting my 27th year as an educator in Holt Public Schools, which is really hard to believe because I feel like I've, uh, you know, landed in my dream position and uh, it doesn't feel like work, to be honest. So 27 years ago, however, um, the uh, salmon industry was thriving in the state of Michigan and I enjoyed fishing with my father and I thought I had a plan. I thought, okay, I'm going to fish all summer long and I'm going to teach. Uh, the rest of the year along Lake Michigan. And there were no bites, no bites uh, for fish and of course no jobs. And then I thought, okay, well, Lake Huron has salmon as well. So I'm gonna cast my line over on the east side (laughs) of the state no luck there, and landed nearly in the geographic center of Michigan. Now, I would like to fully acknowledge that St. Louis, Michigan is the geographic center, but I have a sneaky suspicion that Holt might be the runner-up. So uh, landing here, um, I ended up uh, accepting a a half-time kindergarten position, but by the end of the week, um, it was then moved to full-time, and I was teaching a morning and an afternoon section of Mm -hmm. kindergarten. Now, I'd like the audience to know that I am six foot four. I have the (laughs) biggest ears you've ever seen. And uh, when you have a six foot four frame, generally speaking, you have 
uh, big feet. And so I used to use some of those um, character traits to, uh, you know, help modify the behaviors in my class. To that end, I would tell the kids that because I have such large ears, I can hear everything. <laughs> so they were nice and tidy. And I also asked them to make sure their legs were tucked in because if I were to trip, I was going to uh, definitely hurt myself and I may hurt them. Yeah, so after graduating from college with a child development degree, I set my course on a teaching job, and I loved that. Uh, it was in my 13th year when I was promoted to serve as an elementary or primary principal mm-hmm. of a balanced calendar school, and something happened. In the previous 13 years, I would feel fatigued or tired um, roughly in October. So that was, you know, six to eight to 12 weeks into the school year, I was feeling tired. And for about 13 years in a row, Hmm. that continued to occur. And I just, I guess, started to realize that maybe this was a thing. Maybe teachers just felt tired. They accepted that extra day at Thanksgiving as a bonus day to try to refresh. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, then the, the, the other typical holidays. And then you you know, caught your largest breath in the summer, and then you did it all over again. But it was in that 13th year when I was also promoted um, to be that that, uh, leader of the Balanced Calendar School, and something happened. I was no longer tired in October because we had a two-week break. And then we had a full week off at Thanksgiving, and two at the holiday time, and one in February, two weeks, I should say, in April, and one in May, before ending late June. And all in all, we still had a six-week summer. Hmm. So that's called the balanced school calendar. Okay. So it's still a six-week summer break. But I think that isn't that what they do more in Europe? I know um, I have friends overseas who have, you know, every six or eight weeks, they have a week off, and then they'll have two weeks at different intervals. And it's just sort of what they do. I mean, I think in other countries, that's pretty common, right? It is. And it's, it is a wonderful model. And we call it the balanced calendar. For years, um, the calendar was called the year round calendar. And when you say year round, I think many families are uh, misunderstand the concept and believe their children will be in school 300 plus school days. And that's Mm -hmm. just not the case. It's really spreading the 180 school days across the calendar year and inserting some of those typical uh, uh, weeks off that occur in the summer unplugging them from the summer and plugging them into the school year. So again, it's, you know, every six to nine weeks, there's a nice break and Mm -hmm. it's either one or two weeks and it allows our faculty and staff to be reflective practitioners. They can look back at where they've been and they can look forward to where they're going. And it's not such a sprint as our traditional calendar counterparts uh, have to deal with uh, annually. Sure. So you became uh, principal of this balanced calendar school, and this was in mid-Michigan? I've been in Holt for 27 years. So yeah, okay. So, because, you know, it's interesting. I I wanted to ask you about how widespread this is and how does a school adopt that balanced calendar format? You know, I live in um, southeastern Michigan, and so this has not been um, anything I've known about around our kids' schools but it sounds brilliant, and I, I'm wondering how widespread that is. It is growing across the state of Michigan currently. However, the National Association for Year-Round Education 
uh, has been thriving since approximately 1980. Mm. And many of our counterparts across the nation function on the balanced calendar. But in the state of Michigan, it has been something that has been uh, a little slower to take root. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to deal with the fact that in in our state, um, summer is uh, coveted. We all look back at uh, our long, lazy summer days and want that for our children. But none of us had a handle on how much loss occurs uh, in the summer. And, you know, we also have a robust tourism industry in the state of Michigan. And, and to that end, this particular idea is growing by leaps and bounds. There are mm-hmm. several districts across the state that have recently transitioned over the last, I would say, five years or so. Mm-hmm. And while in Holt, we have two balanced calendar schools and we have eight traditional calendar schools, mm-hmm. um, there are uh, four or five districts in the state of Michigan that their entire district functions on the balanced calendar. That's great. Yeah, I would think that the district would want to be, um, you know, in sync because you could have children at all different levels in different schools. And if one has a balanced calendar and the other one has a traditional one, that sort of makes it difficult for the family, doesn't it? It can. However, we end up partnering our two calendars by making sure we have common breaks. So Mm -hmm. when um, October break comes along, all of our students are off for week one and our balanced calendar students are off for week two. So we have been able to find a way to balance and bring those two together. So it's interesting because um, we love to spend time in the summer in Northern Michigan and we were up in Glen Arbor this summer and I really want to go back in the fall because fall up north is just so beautiful. And, um, you know, my kids are doing remote learning now. Our district is totally online to start the school year because of the pandemic. And I started thinking, well, that's easy. We'll just pick up and go up there. But then as I thought more about it, I thought, you know, they should be in their regular routine and their environment where they learn best. And going away on vacation may not be conducive to that. So I love the idea of having a break in October when you could make use of that. You could still enjoy the tourism industry and and there isn't any um, school on the road, I guess I would say, <laughs> you know. Well, I, um, love, I love where you're going with that. And the reality is Michigan is magical multiple times throughout the year. So yeah. we love northern Michigan in, in the fall. We love northern Michigan in the winter during ski mm-hmm. season. And, yeah. you know, I mean, there's just tons of opportunities. Now, I will say that the balanced calendar has a great impact on our lowest uh, income students or our most at-risk kids. Mm -hmm. And it's really uh, boils down to being able to provide uh, some of the resources that schools and school districts do provide um, our most at-risk kids, like access to food and Mm -hmm. clothing and the other basics. So Mm -hmm. the balanced calendar um, pays dividends to all, all kids. You know, it's interesting because with the pandemic and school shutdowns, I know that that has been one of the biggest concerns is that children who rely on school for their meals, you know, it, it becomes a safe haven. Some homes are not safe. And having a shutdown since mid-March, and then many schools not going back in person this fall, um, even if they're providing technology and and things that can equal the playing field a little bit, those meals and the safety of going to school really are something that I think a lot of families are in need of. And so I wonder, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you think are the biggest, most pressing pressing issues in education today, you know, we're obviously in the midst of a pandemic, but aside from that, you know, what are the 
the big issues we're looking at in education and how we might make it better and really provide access and equity for as many children as possible? That's a wonderful question. I think, you know, my initial response is that we need to be caring for our kids and and building um, relationships through care and empathy. And, and that's number one. I can tell you that across the state of Michigan, we're spending millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars, um, trying to close the, the learning uh, gaps that we're in fact creating when we start after Labor Day and we end somewhere around Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. And, and because on a typical year, our, our teachers are reteaching between 20 and 40 school days. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about the 180 school day uh, calendar that we have in the state of Michigan, and then you, you, know, you pu- pull out 40 of those days for reteaching the previous year's curriculum, now we're being asked to demonstrate a year's worth of growth in 140 school days. Well, that's mm. not even half of the calendar days in, the, in a year. Right. So I truly can bring this back to the balanced calendar. We need to be providing food for all of our kids. And I'm happy to report that the access points and free food for all is mm-hmm. going to be continued uh, across the state of Michigan through the end of the 2020 calendar. Great. So that is a wonderful thing for all of our students. We mm-hmm. are also starting remotely. And so I worry in this time when we can't embrace one another and make sure our kids are safe. Um, Mm -hmm. While many of our families live in functional households, not all families are functioning Mm -hmm. uh, at the highest level. And so um, with with the dysfunction that some of our students are facing on a regular basis, I just worry about them on a regular on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, you know, school does so much. It's, it's education. Yes. But there's so much about the whole child developing and feeling safe and secure, building that confidence, building their skills. There's, there's so much. And so teachers can, can be a lifeline. They can be that um, surrogate parent when it's needed. And I think when you said when, you know, this time when we can't embrace and it just sort of um, broke my heart a little bit because I think that everybody's missing that. And um, I hope that we won't be permanently changed in terms of our approach uh, you know, to hugging people and being close and everything once this is passed, because I think that's quite missed right now, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, uh, we started school August 31st, and our focus was truly on providing some grace, some space, compassion, and doing it with as much empathy as we possibly could to build those relationships. And, you know, it doesn't mean we neglected the academics, but it certainly means that we put a focus on uh, caring for one another. Absolutely. So, you know, you've obviously made a great case for a balanced calendar, but I'd like to learn specifically about the National Association for Year-Round Education. So it sounds like it's a national entity um, and you're the executive director. So tell me a little bit about how you came to this role and, you know, your vision for your work there. Yeah, that is such a good question. Thank you. So it, it ties back to my time in Holt Public Schools. So in 1994, I was hired in, in to teach kindergarten. You've heard a little bit about that. And at the same time, we were opening an elementary school, a brand new elementary school that was functioning on the balanced calendar. So while I was not teaching or placed in that particular building, I always kept an eye on that building because I was intrigued by it. But it truly wasn't until that 13th year where I landed as the principal in that building and realized, wait a minute, there is 
there is something magical about this. Mm -hmm. And so um, during that time, I started researching as much as I possibly could about the balanced calendar. And I, I dug in and I uh, started reading journal, journal articles and I discovered the National Association for Year-Round Education. I also found that they were going to be putting the uh, association on hiatus due to the fact that in 2008 and nine, many um, school administrators stopped paying their memberships, their national memberships to mm -hmm. professional organizations because of the down economy. Sure. And so I really started worrying about this is such a cutting edge idea. If someone, good people, good educators, good parents, wonderful people in the world are looking for more information and they're going to the National Association website or they're going to research uh, the National Association and they find out that it's on uh, a hiatus or on a break, there was a soundbite that I worried about there, that if this is such a good idea, then why is the National Association pausing or why mm -hmm. is it, why is it? you know, not functioning right now. Sure. And I, I, I learned that the longstanding executive director who um, served for approximately 27, 28 years, Dr. Charles Ballinger, he retired. And there were several others uh, that followed behind him. And then, you know, we bumped into this down economy. So it was during that time that I started courting all of the executive directors, sharing my passion for education, sharing my drive to learn more about the, you know, uh, the balanced calendar movement and what it was and what it was not. And Dr. Ballinger said, hey, you know what? Uh, we need someone to champion this this cause moving forward, but I'm not going to hand this over to you until you finish your uh, dissertation and you successfully defend it and graduate. Hmm. And I mm -hmm. think it was his his knowledge of the fact that there are many people who start uh, a doctorate degree and they stop short of uh, graduating, mm -hmm. and and uh, he wanted to make sure I saw that through. Mm -hmm. So in the end. In about 2015, mm -hmm. he said, you're ready. I had defended my dissertation in January. Um, in May, I had um, interviewed for the office of the superintendent here in Holt, and I was mm -hmm. appointed the new superintendent effective uh, July 1 of 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, around that time, I was also appointed as the uh, next executive director of the National Association for Year-Round Education. So it's interesting because um, you're in this position in Michigan, but you are overseeing this national initiative. So how, how do you do that? How do you balance both positions? And is there an agenda for the association? Is there, is there, are there goals, benchmarks that you're working toward? Well, we're continually trying to help our public, greater public, understand um, the benefits of the balanced school calendar. So it's a lot of promotion, but it's a virtual office at this point. So wherever my cell phone sits is truly where the association is. So mm -hmm. there are times where it's here at Holt and there are times where, you know, I've been, uh, I've presented in Los Angeles. I've presented in, um, in Chicago. I've virtually presented in Pennsylvania. I mean, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. And, and to that end, wherever I am is where the association is. The balance comes in, in terms of my prior primary position is here as the lead learner of uh, Holt Public Schools, so mm -hmm. the superintendent of Holt Public Schools. And a lot of nights and weekends, I'm also trying to contribute to the National Association. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, this beautiful thing that has occurred um, 
virtual meetings, you know, you and I are connecting from two different locations right now and yep. you sound wonderful and I hope I do too. And <laughs> I'll look too. forward to yes. hearing this uh, <laughs> at, at some point in the future on the, uh, on the podcast uh, air. Um, <laughs> and, and to that end, um, I'm, I feel like we're able to insert our footprint a little bit more because uh, the world has become a little more flexible. Yep. And that ultimately is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help our uh, counterparts across the nation understand that the balanced calendar offers a more flexible system. Okay. During those weeks off, we're able to give a booster shot of academics, real-time academic um, booster shot, or you know some type of uh, remediation that can occur. And so the typical traditional model is, hey, you're struggling in school, we're going to hold you hostage for the rest of the school year, and we're going to let you make that up in the summer. Mm -hmm. And that's no longer good enough. Can you imagine a child sitting in school day after day after day, thinking, I'm already lost, now I'm even more lost, their Mm -hmm. self-worth goes down, their self-esteem goes down. And what what, what the balanced calendar affords is something we call intercession. And intercession Mm -hmm. is that time for remediation and enrichment to occur. Interesting. So, you know, I want to say, and I, I want to talk a little bit about your dissertation, which, first of all, to have a title for a dissertation that's really cool and compelling like a book is amazing, mm-hmm. because usually dissertation titles are really dry and boring. And so yours, you know, the impact of summer recess on mathematical learning retention is like something I would see in a bookstore. <laughs> I just love that. Um, and I, I w- wanted to ask you about it, because you're talking about summer recess, um, the word recess in there, and then mathematical learning retention. This idea of like obviously taking a break can help can can prevent um, learning retention. But I also wanted to ask about um, how sometimes taking short breaks or small breaks, like I know they do this in Finland. In Finland, this is um, this is a very specific example, but they have recess every I think forty five minutes to sort of assimilate what they've learned in the classroom. And it could be a short recess, but it's it's a, a break where you're physically removed from the classroom, you're moving your body, you're in fresh air. And there's some research that shows that that helps to distill what you've been learning. So when you go back to the classroom, you're, you're sharper and you can continue on. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about you know maybe not that huge break of two and a half months or three months, maybe that's too much, but is there a benefit to having a shorter break to, to help you with retention? Is there, is there anything there or am I just sort of spouting out of thin air here? No, there's something there. You, you are on to something. So um, in my bio, you mentioned that I have multiple passion points. One is uh-huh. the balanced calendar. Another one is wellness, wellness initiatives. Uh-huh. And um, in Holt Public Schools, we have been tightly coupled with um, the Safe Routes to School initiatives. And we have learned that kids who walk and bike to school uh-huh. are more academically ready to engage and their behaviors are better in school. So we are considered a walking school bus uh, Mm -hmm. district where we Mm -hmm. ask kids to, uh, in the neighborhood, to kind of find one another and find an adult. And we coordinate that where Mm -hmm. then kids are walking and biking to school safely. Mm -hmm. And again, our internal data demonstrates that when kids walk and bike to school, they're more academically engaged and their behaviors are better. Mm-hmm. So is there, now tell me a little bit about the dissertation. So you specifically mentioned math. Is it um, all learning retention that's at risk when you have such a long break? Or is it specifically 
math that you're looking at, or was this just one example that you wanted to delve deeply into? Yeah, so it's it's all subjects. We we lose, we all lose, and even the uh, at, you know the uh, middle and upper class kids lose their knowledge that they previously uh, learned uh, the year prior over the summer. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, of course. Um, uh, to that end, um, there's an, a something called the faucet theory that underpins this this idea. So I want you to imagine a faucet. You have um, a hot and a cold, and I want you to rename one uh, low income and the other upper and middle class. And during the school year, the resources are flowing at the same rate. So it's, you know, uh, no matter uh, your your economic status, you are you have access to the food, you have access to the shelter, the care, as well as the academics. But in the summer, uh, the bulk of the resources are um, turned off for the low-income family or students, mm-hmm. and our middle and upper-class kids are still being somewhat enriched because their parents are taking them places, for instance, mm-hmm. to Lake Michigan or mm-hmm. to a park or a library or what have you. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the long and the short of it is I chose to focus on mathematical learning retention because of researchers prior to me. Now, um, as you're working through your your doctoral studies, you're, you're trying to find a way to add to the body of literature. And because the National Association was basically on hiatus from 2008 to 2015, there was a huge research gap. Mm-hmm. But I looked back at, at some of the research prior to that, and, and I was I quickly learned that the impact is much greater on the mathematical computation skills than it is on some of the other things. And I believe that that's because there is environmental print all around us. So all summer long, kids are, you know, whether they're in the back of a car or in the front of the car or even just walking or, you know, navigating their communities, they're still reading things like road signs and restaurant signs and and potentially having access to books. But without having uh, the opportunity to practice math, that that there's a, a tremendous impact all summer long. That makes perfect sense. Wow. It sounds really interesting. So um, really kudos to you for picking up this work. And um, I hope that this podcast will help get the word out and people will start to really think about this. It's a fabulous topic and one I had never really contemplated until I started researching you to prepare for the podcast. And I thought, Wow, this this could be revolutionary. I mean, it could really change the landscape in so many ways. I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, I believe education is uh, the most important endeavor we have. You know, I work, my day job is marketing and public relations, and I work with schools and universities mostly um, because I think it's so important to have options to make sure that every child accesses, you know, their entry point for learning. Um, There's just so much and it is a foundation for life. And so, you know, education applies at every age, every stage. Um, And as long as we continue learning, I believe we're vibrant and dynamic and alive. So I wanted to ask you what you think about how we might transform educational pursuits to be lifelong rather than a means to an end. Like I have to go to school for this many years so that I can then become an adult and work, or I can then go on to college or whatever the next goal is. But really, I feel like it should be a lifelong pursuit. What are your thoughts about that? I like that thought too. I believe if we can move away from grades and for instance, you know, like 
at age five, you consider going to kindergarten. Um, and it's, it's the most commonly asked question, how old are you and what grade are you in? Mm -hmm. And if we could move away from those deep seated traditions to more to competency based, um, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, you know, do you know it? And if you don't, we're going to teach what you don't know rather than what you do know. I, I really worry about our kids who are sitting in class all day long um, and we're asking them to relearn content that they have either picked up on their own, learned um, at home, or you know somehow um, secured that knowledge. Uh, why are we putting them through that again? So I think we're wasting a whole lot of time. Uh, and if we were to think about this more in a long game, that marathon of, you know, let's work on competencies. And once someone demonstrates that they know that particular competency or standard, let's mm -hmm. move them to the next one. But, sure. but yeah. it doesn't need to be that all third graders have to know this in this moment in time. It could be a more, much more flexible system, which, you know, th the reality I tie again back to the balanced calendar. If you, if you took grades away and, and you basically said you're all going to this particular school and you free flowed through that building based on your strengths and your growth edges, I, I think you're going to see some really, really dynamic things. But I, I'm a dreamer. Those mm -hmm. are things that, uh, you know, I hope, you know, sometime in our life we'll see. Well, I nominate you to lead the Department of Education because you have these amazing ideas that would totally transform our country. So <laughs> I hope somebody's listening and somebody picks up that idea who actually has the power for it. But I mean, these are great ideas and I, I totally agree. I just feel like there are so many different um, aptitudes, abilities to learn. You know, people have their strengths and their natural tendencies and everybody learns differently. And I just, it makes so much sense. I, I really do wish we could we could move in that direction. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, read it or seen, there's some TED Talks. Seth Godin, who's a marketing guru and entrepreneur, wrote a manifesto called Stop Stealing Dreams. And it's a favorite of mine. Um, and he talks about how the educational system was created in this country and why and, and um, how he recommends a, a different system now that we're in the 21st century. And I teach uh, writing classes at University of Detroit Mercy, and I always have start the semester with my students watching the TED Talk of that and then asking them, what do you think? How do you think we should have an educational system? And nobody's ever asked them that before, and the responses I get are phenomenal. I mean, so check it out. Seth Godin, Stop Stealing Dreams, and I would love to hear what you think about it. I just wrote it down, and <laughs> you know, the, the long and the short of it is, you know, in kindergarten, kids enter with this, uh, they're wide-eyed, and they're so delighted to be there, and by mm -hmm. the time we're graduating the kids, we have programmed them to seek the goal, which is that you know, letter grade. And mm -hmm. if we were to truly take letter grades out of it and take, you know, the, the, Hey, you're six, you should be in first grade out of it. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if we could continue withhold that passion that the kids enter kindergarten with, because by the time they get to 12th grade, there are times where I can see a child that I worked with as a kindergartner and, you know, they're, they're, we've, we've kind of changed them in a way where they are um, goal driven to earn the A and they're going to do whatever it takes to earn the A instead of digging deep around the edges of uh, an assignment, they're going to do whatever the, you know, whatever the assignment is expecting of them. So absolutely. You know, I, I'm the mom of four teenagers and I've told them for years that 
Um, they need to, to do what interests them, where their passions are. And, you know, there was a time when they were a little younger where they would say, well, this wouldn't make enough money or this career isn't lucrative. And I don't know where they picked that up because certainly not in this household, but, um, but there's this notion of like, you know, you're driven, you're driven, you have to get those grades, you have to get the test scores. And there's only certain universities that are acceptable and everybody has to go to university. And I told them from an early age that they should follow their passions and their interests and that there are many different paths. You know, so if, if college isn't your next step, there are other things. And, you know, you have to listen to your own voice and see where it takes you because everybody has that unique skill and interest that can really make a difference in the world. And I think we're doing kids a disservice when we don't hear them and see them instead put them in a format or a formula that society expects. You know, it's just, it's not fair. Well, it's been so nice speaking with you, David. And I wanted to finish in a way that I normally do on the podcast. You know, we focus on how people find their personal meaning and do work that is purposeful for them. And obviously you're driven by, you know, lots of meaning and purpose. And so I like to ask my guests what uh, permission slip they would write to our, our listeners, you know, to give yourself permission to go in search of your meaning and your purpose. So I wonder if you have any thoughts today about a permission slip you might uh, write for our listeners. I do. It's going to come in the form of a quote. Um, Margaret Wheatley once wrote, there's no greater power than a community discovering what it cares about. We need to ask what is possible, not what is wrong, and keep on asking. And we need to notice what others care about. And we need to assume that many others share our dreams. We need to be brave enough to start conversations that matter. Talk to people you know, talk to people you don't know, and talk to people you never talk to. Be intrigued by the differences you hear. Expect to be surprised. Treasure curiosity more than certainty. Invite in everybody who cares to work on what is possible. Acknowledge that everyone is an expert about something. Know that creative solutions come from new connections. Remember, you don't fear the people whose story you know. Real listening always brings us closer together. Trust that meaningful conversations can change our world. Continue to rely on human goodness and keep an eye on one another. That's, that would be my permission slip and my advice for our learning community and I hope the entire state of Michigan and our nation. Well, thank you so much, David Hornet. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.